Shalom, everyone. Shalom. Hope you're having a wonderful day. You th- listen, it's not that hot. <laughs> if, you're, if, if you're a believer in Messiah, this is as bad as it gets. <laughs> if you're not a believer in Messiah, this may be as good as it gets. <laughs> so uh, let's, let's understand what God has for us. Right, first of all, if you're a visitor here, I want to commend this congregation to you. They love the Lord. Uh, they love uh, all kinds of people, uh, and I'm very thankful to be in their fellowship uh, and in their prayers. It's a great joy for me uh, to spend time uh, with, the, with the men of this congregation, uh, and I'm very thankful for the prayers of this congregation. Uh, some of you are aware uh, of, of our ministry and our work. Uh, if you're not, I just want to take a moment to make you aware. Uh, yeah. I left my Bible up here. Yes, I know that. I thought you had the whole thing memorized. You got me fooled, I think. If you're not getting our newsletter, not being able, therefore, to keep up with what, with what our ministry is doing, I believe an envelope like this was handed out to the adult. Just fill this out and place it in the box on our literature table on your way out. Just by filling it out and putting it in there, we'll send you our newsletter. Uh, you can put down your email. We send it by email as well. A uh, lot more information at wordofmessiah.org. You can download all kinds of free stuff to help you in your ministry, in your witness, and your walk uh, with the Lord. Uh, and I want to uh, especially be asking your prayers for... Uh, first of all, the Lord's been doing some marvelous things. I'm really thrilled with the work of God. You know, as I get older, I'm just thrilled that the Lord uh, uh, is... is you know, gracious to use me uh, for the furtherance of the good news of the gospel. Uh, in Israel, our last trip there, uh, what a joy. There's a number of different things. They were doing planting congregations in the Negev, in the desert area. Uh, what a joy to see people growing. There's a lot of persecution of believers in that area by the Orthodox. Uh, please remember in prayer our ministry there. Uh, also in the north, uh, there's a congregation plant we're working on uh, in the Galilee area. And we're trying to do something different. Uh, we're, want, we're reaching out to not only Israeli Jews, but also to Arabs and Muslims. Uh, we believe that a great testimony would be uh, Jews and Arabs together in the Messiah worshiping God. It sounds like, well, duh. Well, that's just not happening there. Uh, just not happening there. So, uh, we, but we pray that God will continue to bless people coming to faith, Great things are happening. Uh, we on, have ongoing uh, training and all kinds of things. Conferences going on all over. It's just amazing. Uh, please keep us in prayer over there, working with about 20 missionaries, planting congregations, doing training over there. Uh, we're having such a good time. Uh, but please remember us in prayer. I'm going back for another training conference on discipleship. Our materials translated in Russian and Hebrew and Spanish are used throughout the country, doing a lot. We want to not only see people saved, uh, we want to see them grounded and rooted in the word that they might now live differently, as we'll be touching upon. Uh, so please keep us in prayer, for we see congregations planted. It's really to see people getting discipled, congregations made up of a bunch of disciples who are following the Lord together. So please remember some prayer for our outreach and ministry in November. Uh, also, uh, 
In January, I'm going to be teaching at Israel College of the Bible. Uh, we've been doing pioneer work over there for, I don't know, since the 70s. I've been going over since the 70s doing evangelism and church planting work. Uh, but what a joy to see uh, infrastructure developing that gives substance and strength to the community, uh, the believing community. So uh, they've asked me to come over and teach on congregation planting. Uh, so one area for prayer, pray we get this translated in time. They want to use my book as a text uh, there at the school. Uh, so we can see a whole lot more. We want more and more churches being planted. The local congregation is the best long-term witness into a community. Uh, we want to see healthy congregations planted all over the world. Pray for us uh, and what we're doing in different parts of the world. But there's a whole lot going on. Wordofmessiah.org. Get more information from that if you wish. Uh, there's literature and books, uh, free literature, not so free books on the table. Lynn, where are you, Lynn? Lynn will assist you at the table after the service. And uh, by the way, a um, couple of things. If you're looking for the best deal uh, there, uh, there is this PDF file with 12 of our books on here. And so you can copy and paste and not even give attribution. It's okay. I'm good. Don't worry about it. Uh, also, please keep in prayer for a men's conference. There's materials on the back table. You can register. Uh, we'd like to see all the men there. Uh, you say, why? Because, as we'll be touching upon, if, God's going to have, if there's going to be a movement of God, it's going to be led by men. Do you believe that? And so we want to see men not only raised up, trained up, because we want them to, you cannot have confidence if you don't have competence. And so Michael Brown, Dr. Michael Brown, will be there to help the, with the training I'll be teaching, uh, as will uh, Dr. Barry Leventhal, uh, training and teaching the men to give them more tools to use in their witness, in their walk, uh, because we want them to be competent so they'll be confident. If you don't know how to handle the sword, you're not going to want to get involved in any kind of uh, fight, you know. So uh, we're going to fight the good fight. Please keep that in prayer. Put it on your refrigerator. Pray over it. We want men coming from all over uh, in order to be trained up. You say, but isn't it a messianic men's conference? Well, so what? God's an equal opportunity savior. He loves everybody. He loves everyone the same. And so we want everyone to come, all the guys, uh, to come, get trained up, be blessed, be built up in the faith, uh, have a great time of camaraderie and prayer together, and also good teaching, but not just for teaching's sake, but that we might go do something with it. So keep all that in prayer. Uh, I'm very thankful for your, your prayerful uh, consideration of our work. Thank you for praying for us. Keep it up. Appreciate all that. Want to get into the Word. Um, if you have your Bibles... I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Version. Uh, you say, well, what kind of version is that? Well, the King James is the way people used to speak. The NIV is the way they now speak. Uh, the New American Standard is the way no one ever spoke or ever will, but I like it, so you're stuck. 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, according to my custom, I'm going to read uh, what it says. Uh, and then ask God's blessing on his word and try to just look at a couple of verses for application for our life. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 
It says there in verse 1, I'm going to read 1 through 7, just for context. It's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he be able to take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so they will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. Uh, and he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will uh, not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Well, let's pray about this matter. Our God and Father, we're so thankful to be able to come into your presence to study your word. Uh, not merely that we might uh, have a lot more uh, information we won't use, but that we might understand the battle plan, the game plan, uh, that when we leave this holy huddle, we'll be given, going out to live your word, to walk in the word. Uh, and we pray right now uh, for your work to be done. We do pray for revival in this country, so I pray that you will make the men uh, kindling wood for revival. That we'll recognize uh, our calling uh, to not only uh, show up on a Sunday morning, uh, to be able to live fully for you, uh, in our time, our talent, our treasure, uh, all in all, that with all our hearts and soul and might, we'll live unto you. That there might be true revival, not only in the hearts of the men, but in the families, in our community, and we trust the whole nation. Indeed, this whole world is needing, uh, needing your revival, Lord, but also you're worthy of the praise of many. Uh, so we ask for that. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, as we uh, was mentioning before, you know, the Bible ends, as uh, Pastor Tim mentioned, the Bible ends in Malachi uh, for sixth Old Testament, ends with uh, that kind of hope that the Messiah would bring about, says he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers. And so you have this whole anticipation of what the Messiah will bring. And it kind of sounds a little weird, you know, the issue of father and son and son and father. What's the story with all that? When we think about the issues facing not only our nation but this world, uh, we see here the issue of what uh, sin has done, the corruption that has occurred, uh, the tremendous catastrophe of humanity. Uh, when the enemy uh, uh, started his attack, he attacked, uh, you say, well, Adam and Eve fell. The attack was on a family. He attacked a family. And if there's going to be restoration, it's going to be restoration of families. The issue of the family and the marriage is the key issue of redemption. Uh, you say, well, it's just enough that I'm saved. Maybe to you, but not to God. God is concerned for a whole lost humanity. He's concerned for your family. And he's concerned for the difference that you can make, not only uh, in your life, but in your home and your home, therefore, shows what redemption means. In other words, 
when redemption occurs, when revival takes place, it takes place not merely in the individual heart, but you and your household. God wants the family saved. And the reason is because, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. Genesis 2.18. Well, why? I imagine Adam could have said something along the lines of, it's not good for you to be alone, Adam. What are you talking about? I got you, you and me, God. We're good. We're good to go. You and me. I got my Jesus. Good. No. No, Adam. It's not good for man to be alone. Why? I'm doing fine. I got like a lot of pets. A lot of pets here. But I'm good. I'm good. No. Why is it not good for man to be alone? Well, that's why he created the male and female. God in his nature. It said, let us create man in our own image according to our likeness. God in his nature, triune as he is. The issue of father and son in the very nature of God. Relationship is essential to the nature of God. Relationship is essential. That's why we need to understand what it means to be his disciples. We are called not just to be saved, but to love others. We're creating the image of God. God is love. Creating his image, we're created to be loved and to love. We're not going to be satisfied, fulfilled, until not just that we're loved, but also need to love. The very worship. What great, I love the worship. Uh, great, we could just keep going with worship, by the way. But uh, great worship. Uh, the whole issue of, of the matter, though, is that the work of, of worship has to do uh, with the matter of our hearts, uh, worshiping a God who cares about us, not just himself. Uh, we appreciate a God who, because of who he is, he loves us. Uh, and so we want to understand the issue of relationship. Created in his image, according to his likeness, he created the male and female, and therefore you cannot be godly unless you are loving others. Uh, by, all, by this all men will know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. That is the mark of his discipleship. Not just having propositional faith, we can sort of say, yeah, Jesus is Lord and move on. But that we're actually caring, a kind community, reaching out to one another, that this is going to be the mark of it all. Uh, and so those people who like to say, well, I prayed a prayer 20 years ago. I got my free pass, right? You don't understand. Uh, God changed your life 20 years ago, and that change is going to be seen in how you're caring for others. You may, you may have fooled yourself with prayer. You may have fooled yourself with ceremonies. Because the work that God does, he brings you into relationship that you might now relate well to others, that you might reach out to others. So when God is going to be doing a work, it's going to be a work that's going to be demonstration that what the enemy destroyed, he was able to restore. And therefore the family is going to be a testimony. The marriage is going to be a living testimony of his grace being sufficient. And so when we think about the family, we think about the home. The scripture uh, created the male to be in charge of the home. It kind of surprises men. The Bible is counterintuitive. You know, God is always going against the grain of our flesh. Uh, when we think about, as we mentioned last night, when it says in the scriptures, oh, by the way, I haven't started the message yet. This is just introduction. <laughs> Don't thank me now. When, when, the, when the scripture says, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, 
the word for cleave, join, cling. The man is the one who keeps the family together. He's the one who takes the initiative to make sure we don't lose any of the lambs or the sheepies. It's the male leadership role that is to basically seen keeping the family together. The Bible uses a certain word for nurturing. We think about the mother always being the nurturer in the family. The Bible doesn't talk like that. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 that the husband is to nurture his wife. And then in Ephesians 6 verse 4, fathers, don't get your kids all upset about all kinds of stuff, but nurture them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. They're the nurturers of the family. They're the ones building it up. They're the shepherds feeding the flock, caring for the flock. They're the ones who ought to be in charge and caring about it all. What sin has done is made like the mother to be the one who's the only, you know, if she doesn't do it, it's not going to get done, and therefore my life is sort of purposeless, meaningless, I just got to do stuff, and what am I living for anyway? I'm not a happy camper. And so that's because of sin. That's because of sin. And and everyone thinks, you know, that uh, Homer Simpson is like the poster child for the fathers, you know. Uh, No, no, that's not how it rolls. And so we want to understand what God is doing. When he brings redemption and restoration, it's going to be testified to through the family. I'm not going to deny whether you're saved or not. I'm going to say whether or not there's a testimony there. Whether or not there's a testimony. By this all men will know you're my disciples. Whether there's a testimony there. Whether men can know you're his disciples. Uh, So we want to understand uh, the growth that's expected. Uh, God is expecting us to be growing uh, in our home life, in our family life. And that's why we saw what it said there, and I'll touch upon that in just a few minutes. In the community, you say, Sam, what do you do in the work you do? Well, we go to areas where they need local congregation, the local church, uh, and we bring the gospel to people. We believe God. Uh, We believe God's word. It says that there is a remnant at the present time according to God's gracious choice. So we believe that God has a remnant in every community. Do you believe that? What if you found out they were your neighbors? But in any case, so we go in, we reach the remnant, make disciples, get core groups developed, plant local congregations out of that core group, raise them up, get them discipled real good, leadership develops, Uh, there, and that's what we do. But when we do it, we remember that amongst Jewish people, we have something called the Vahafta, something we say at our services. You know, we say uh, uh, the Shema and the Vahafta, you know, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and might. Uh, And the word which I'm commanding you today shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach your children diligently. We say that every week. We say it all the time. And you shall speak of it uh, when you're sitting in the house, when you're walking on the way, when you're lying down, when you're rising up. Uh, and so we want to understand that the scriptures from beginning to end are forever telling us that we have to be training our children, raising our children, discipling our children. I don't know if you're going to make any other disciples, but God gave you children to make disciples uh, to his grace and glory, as a praise to his glory. And so the issue uh, of the matter of fathers as leaders is counterintuitive to our culture and our our world. Uh, We have a joke amongst my people. Uh, (laughs) A boy comes home, 
uh, and says, you know, to his mom, Mom, I got, a, I, got, I got a role in the play, in the school play. That's wonderful, darling. What part did you get? I play the part of the father and husband. Mother says, you go back right now and ask for a speaking role. Because it's almost like a given, you know, that, you know, the fathers have much to say on almost anything. Uh, and unfortunately, that may actually work out in some homes, uh, but that's not, regardless of stereotypes, the Bible still teaches us otherwise, and we have to take note of that. Uh, you say, well, why fathers isn't, aren't moms enough? Sometimes I've got to make do. In single-parent homes, only a mother, God's grace will prove to be sufficient. Uh, but many times I've counseled men later on in life uh, that they have to go and repent to God and apologize to their wives for forcing them to take on double duty while they played around with a career or something uh, rather than investing their life in their family and children. You say that the dad's important. Let me read for you from uh, the 2006 report from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services regarding the matter. It says there, even from birth, children who have an involved father, involved father, have an involved father, more likely be emotionally secure, be confident to explore their surroundings as they grow older, have better social connections with peers. These children are also less likely to get in trouble at home, school, or in the neighborhood. That's what the government said. Uh, and the Bible has been saying that all along. Uh, the government's catching up in some places and falling behind others. Uh, but in any case, so with a partnership between the mom and the dad there, uh, they're a team together. Uh, but we want to understand the dad uh, is called by God uh, to step up into leadership on this matter. As we consider this issue, uh, we want to understand uh, that when Messiah came, he said this. I'll just quote it for you. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. But he a God. <laughs> Good grief, you deserve a little, you know, a little service here. No, 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 you don't understand what it's like to be God. You think being in charge means you control the remote. That's ungodly. When you're God, you look to serve. That's love. That's love. God loves us. Uh, he wasn't put out having to wash our feet. No, no, he loves us, he cares for us. And therefore, uh, the whole issue of being godly is going to be relating well to others, serving, uh, not being served. And so the head of the home is going to be pictured in such a way uh, before the Lord. Uh, you say, well, what do you mean? Well, whether you're a successful, involved father is really going to be the question. When you take a look at chapter 3 of, Tit of Timothy, you'll notice what it says there. Uh, I hope you kept your Bible open. I haven't left 1 Timothy 3. Uh, just to give you an outline for those who love to take notes, uh, for those who are looking at it, we went over this, touched upon it last night, no more than that. In verse 1 of chapter 3, we see having a holy ambition uh, to serve. Uh, and then in verse 2 and 3, we see having uh, the kind of character, irreproachable character, uh, that you might, uh, as long, you know, really having a character just following the Lord. It doesn't talk about having a great degree. It doesn't have to do with wealth. It doesn't have to do with good looks or anything. It just has to do with a humble, ordinary, loving, caring life. And then the experience, which we'll just touch upon in a moment or two. 
And the experience has to do with your home life, your walk with the Lord, uh, and also uh, your community life, your reputation out on the street. Uh, before I get to the home life, I just want to note for you, verse 6, uh, it says that a leader in the congregation and all, and I would also say the home, as we'll see, uh, should not be a new believer, a novice. The word there, neophyte in the Greek, uh, means a new plant, a new plant. You say, well, what's that mean? Well, in Leviticus chapter 19, uh, it says when you come into the land, you're not to eat from a new plant. You have to wait until the fourth year, which is forgotten, and the fifth year you can partake of it. And so a new plant was something less than five years. It had to be mature, ripe fruit. Uh, and therefore, the leadership has to be ripe as well. <laughs> Some of us are overripe. I got it. Okay. Uh, but also, listen, getting married, you know. Uh, are these men of God, are these mature men of God you're marrying? Well, he got saved just before he asked me to marry him. And you believed him. Why shouldn't I? He's a dude. That's why. You know? He's a guy. He doesn't understand. And so you want to make sure a mature man uh, who's following the Lord and therefore can lead a home, because as soon as he says, I do, he will. You know, had one couple, I do premarital counseling, in congregation planting, we work with families. And so a couple uh, got saved, Jewish couple, Jew Jewish uh, couple, and they wanted to get married. And I said, well, I don't, I don't agree to marry anyone until after I do premarital counseling to see if you're really ready to get married or not, you know? And so they, people put up with that stuff, you know, they hold their nose and walk through my account. And so at the end, I said, no, you guys aren't ready for marriage. It's going to take at least six months. He doesn't know what it means to lead a home, doesn't know what it means to be a leader. He's not really ready for the responsibility. And they said, oh, you, oh, no, our love is enough for anything. I'm not sure why they talk like that, but real weird. Uh, and so uh, they invited me to the, I wouldn't marry them, but, but they invited me to the wedding. I had a good time. Uh, and then about six months later, she says to me, he doesn't want to pray or read the Bible or anything. He wasn't doing that before. What makes you think he's going to do it now? Hello? And so people are just not ready for the very responsibility that the Bible expects and every woman actually hopes for uh, and what the children desperately need. And so regarding the issue, not a new, not a new believer, uh, they should have some maturity that, they have fru that they're fruitful uh, and therefore can be partaken of. And, uh, and so let's understand what we're going to be looking at right now, because I want to look at, at the issue of, of verse 4 and 5. 1 Timothy chapter 3, 4 and 5. I'm, I'm, I'm finished with my introduction. Sometimes the runway is longer than the flight, so don't worry. We're going to be looking at three things in verse 4 and 5 about successful service, having a fulfilling life and calling. The calling that God has given you is not one that you chose. It says in Hebrews chapter, one verse, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, running the race that is set before us with endurance. You didn't set it. God put it there. Your calling is given by God. You get to fulfill it as you trust in him, running the race that has been set before you. And so uh, the calling you have a husband, a father, a leader, uh, God has called you. 
Uh, and there's three things in these verses I want to look at. First of all, you succeed when you recognize, when we recognize together the stewardship we have. And not resist it, but recognize it. Secondly, we're going to look at the fact uh, we succeed when we receive the discipleship we need to fulfill the calling. And then thirdly, we succeed when we provide the guardianship that the family needs in light of our calling. Let's get right into it. 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says in verse 4, uh, he must manage, uh, if you have a King James or a New King James, I think it says he must rule. How many people have a Bible that says he must rule? Raise your hand. Now that sounds like manly men stuff. I'm ruling. I'm ruling. Well, good. Will you finally, you know, clean up your room or something? <laughs> ruling. And so uh, I think a better word, uh, uh, that in, back in the King James day, that might have been okay, but uh, the word manage in my translation in the New American Standard, I think, is really fit to, the, to what not just the, the word is in the Greek, uh, but what the idea is. Must manage his own household well. Manage his own household well. You say, well, I'm not a manager. You know, I'm a dynamic kind of leader who can use the remote, you know, change channels. I'm good. I'm dynamic. And so, no, no, you're, you're called to manage your stewardship, what you have in the Lord. Uh, he must manage his own household well, having his children in subordination, all dignity. Uh, so we want to understand, we have to recognize the stewardship we have. Yeah, when you got married, most men, and I hope the children will not be put off by any of this, a lot of men are just looking for legitimate intimacy, uh, and so therefore that's what the driving force towards marriage. But the fact of the matter is, unbeknownst to them, it's actually a ministry. Marriage is ministry. It's a ministry that's supposed to reveal the love of God that a husband and wife have. The husband-wife relationship is the closest human experience to God loving his people. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. Uh, so we want, and 32. And so we want to understand that the marriage relationship in the intimacy that we share, in the closeness, in the faithfulness, the fidelity, in all of that is supposed to be a testimony. And when you get married, you now have a stewardship, a responsibility before God. You say, I, I didn't sign up for that. You didn't ask enough questions before you bought the car. You only asked if it runs, and I was thinking, yes, downhill, the car goes well. You didn't ask if it goes well uphill. Too late, buddy. And so we want to understand that the responsibility is what the Scripture speaks about what marriage means. Marriage is what the Bible, God created marriage, uh, because it's not good for man to be alone. But our marriage relationship is to show the kind of love that there is in the very nature of God revealed in us. First of all, take a look at the text, please. Notice it says there, he must manage his own household well. Don't be fiddling around trying to fix somebody else's home when your own home maybe needs some stuff being done. Uh, you know, be careful of, uh, you know, but they appreciate me more when I help them. My family doesn't appreciate when I do anything. Well, you'd really have it rough, fella, if you were a mother. You know, they cook all these meals and no one gives them a standing, oh, yeah, that was a great hamburger, mom. No, uh, that's part of the calling. 
And so we want to understand you have a limited stewardship, your own household. This is your stewardship. This is your responsibility before God. You are to care for them. This is what God will hold you accountable for. Uh, he's not, you say, what about the other families? Take care of your own family first. You must, in your own, you must model the values you want your children to hear and to live out. You must also make sure you renounce within yourself before you denounce in others. Your family must renounce all the issues of their own lives before you denounce any other families. Does that sound fair? So we got work to do in our home. That's your stewardship. That's your calling from God. You say, well, I, my call, I got a career. I got to work. No, you only work because of the family. If you had all the money in the world, and may God curse me as well with such a problem, but if you had all the money in the world, what in the world would you do with your time? I'm thinking of the beaches of Rio. And no, yeah, that's why he doesn't give you more. Why, that's why it doesn't work that way. Why? Because the only reason that you're working is to have enough resources to be able to care for your family. But the real calling upon your life is to pray for them, minister the word to them, and then to the community. And so the calling of God, we, we have substituted that with our careers. Because, you know, uh, time is money. What I do with my time, they pay me for. Therefore, I know my value. You are devaluing your life by worldly standards. You're a child of God if you know the Messiah. There's no kind of value other than the cross that can ever evaluate you properly. And so you want to understand your calling may be different than your vocation, than your career. Your calling is from God. And therefore, you want to use your career for the family. You want to make sure that is the prime area. God's not, a, not going to talk about, you know, if you worked just five more hours from 70 to 75 hours a week, you would have got that promotion. You're listening, right? Yes, God. He's not going to talk to you about, talk to you about that. He's going to say, you know, if you spend a few more hours with your kids and prayed with them, things might have been different. Really? Yes. He gave you the family. Children are a gift of the Lord. Uh, also, it's uh, his own children. You know, his, uh, your own household, your own kids, his own household having his children in subordination. It's your children that you want to be working with, understanding your stewardship in your household, managing it well. What's it mean to manage it well? It says there, you notice the text, take a look at your Bibles. Uh, it says there, uh, his children in subordination with all dignity. Now, uh, some versions make it sound like, uh, you know, you're just going to shut up, kid, until I tell you to talk. In fact, I'm not sure I want you breathing unless I tell you to breathe. In fact, jump up, I'll tell you when to come down. That's not what it says. No. It has to do with his dignity, not the kids. Uh, the word subordination there means in, in the Greek, uh, knowing your place. Knowing your place. Uh, those under rowers, they had a place. Uh, they were in subordination. It doesn't mean the children have to know their place in the home. You have a place in our home. You have a place in this family. You have a very important place. 
And therefore, the head of the house is going to help the children to be able to understand their calling and their role in the family. And they're going to maintain that orderliness with dignity. They're not going to give in to anger, start slapping their kids. Well, that's what my dad did. Didn't do me any harm, did it? Yeah, those who've been victimized tend to victimize others. Be careful of that. You want to understand that, no, it's the Father that maintains the dignity by the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to uh, make sure they're in their arranged place and everyone understands we're together as a family, uh, that they will actually uh, submit uh, to your guidance and direction just like you do with the Lord. Just like you. If you're not submitted to God, your children are learning from the values that you're modeling. If you want them to listen to you, you show that you listen to God. If you're a child of God, you show what a child, how a child should respond. You model the values you want others to have. Uh, they need to know that they are accepted, placed in the family. They need to see your dignity as they handle things so they'll know how to handle things. When they have problems that don't always work out like they wanted to. So fathers, do not exasperate your children so they will not lose heart. Colossians 3.21. Uh, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but instead nurture them in the training and instruction of the Lord. Don't exasperate. Don't provoke them. Uh, don't overwhelm them. Care about them. Reach out to them. Maintain your dignity. Uh, don't be the kind of person that can't, you know, hard to please. Well, how many of you are saved by grace? Raise your hand. How many of you are, are kept by grace? Raise your hand. Not by your own perfect works? No? Then why do you expect that from your kids? Give them the same graciousness you depend upon. Model the very values you want to see in the family. You want your kids to be able to say, my daddy is a safe place. My daddy is a safe place. Uh, and so we want to understand about raising our kids and wisely so. But not everyone knows how to do these things. We should have a parenting for dummies kind of book. You know what I mean? Uh, washing the kids. Don't use the hose like you use on the car. No. Stop that right now. It's a more tender, gentle kind of thing you have to do. There's real serious issues, though. And a lot of guys, uh, I do, I'll do, you know, if you're going to be planting congregation, you're going to be dealing with families. A lot of guys just don't know. They're not taught how to run a family. They don't have a behavioral model. I wasn't going to get married. When I got saved, I figured I can never get married because my home, there was a screaming battleground between my parents, and my dad didn't give me the behavioral model to know how to raise kids, you know, so I just figured I'm out of the picture here, you know. But God, in his grace and mercy, uh, when he saved me, he also cleansed me and also enabled me to look to the heavenly father. Uh, if I can't look to my earthly father for kind of direction and uh, you know, behavioral values. And so it says there uh, that the issues of managing our own home uh, is something that we need to learn. Do you notice what it says there in verse 5? Take a look at verse 5. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. If a man does not know how to manage his own home, does not know how. It's a learned skill. It's not something that is innate, that comes with the equipment. No, it's something to be taught. You have to be learned. You have to be taught. It's discipleship. 
You have to be taught how to manage your own home well. And if your family did not do it, then there needs sometimes in the congregation some reparenting that has to go on, or re-engineering, classes on some of these matters, so couples learn what a, a godly family is supposed to be like, have the vision of that, pray towards that, learn the skills as they grow in Messiah, so they love each other, and the head of the house knows how to be a servant to his family. This is exactly what needs to be done. But there's a lot of guys, you know, real men don't need instructions. I just do it the natural way. They talk back, I slap them down. How's that working for you? My eighth wife is no smarter than the other seven. I don't know. Uh, so we have uh, issues, uh, you know, uh, the plague of divorce amongst believers. And why? Because they're not any better taught on these matters than the unsaved. They know about getting saved, but they're not taught about how to walk with the Lord, how to have a family in the Lord, how to be a husband, how to be a wife. And so these are acquired skills. They have to be learned. They're acquired skills. Uh, and that's why you want to be taking this stuff seriously. No one expects you to know this innately, automatically, genetically. No. We have to be taught these things. Otherwise, uh, if you're not discipled, you're not functional in the body. The undiscipled believer is the dysfunctional member of the body. You haven't been discipled in that area of your walk, in your life. You'll have dysfunctionality in that area, and it'll show in the home. It's not only learned, it has to be lived. has to manage his own home well. He has to manage it well. You see, you're only wise when you live out what you learn. People who sit here and listen to a sermon, I feel sorry for them because you got to do something with it. What are you going to do with the time you're spending here? It's not by osmosis, somehow sitting through this, you know, it comes in through the pores. I think I'm just sort of picking up the wavelength, you know, it's kind of resonating. Oh, yeah. No, you're supposed to be learning truth you'll act upon. Faith is intentional. Faith is intentional. I will trust the Lord with my money. No, I will not watch internet porn. No, I will not, oh, I'm never alone with another woman, so therefore I will not do such things. I, faith is intentional, and therefore men have to intentionally say, no, I'm going to learn what it is to be a man of God. I'm going to learn what it is to be a husband, a godly husband, a faithful husband, a faithful father. I'm going to learn what it is to have that victorious life. Because it's only when you do something with it, you're wise. You're not wise by what you learn. You're wise by how you lived. The gift of knowledge, knowing stuff. It's cool, good for, you know, after dinner conversations. But the gift of wisdom is the application of it. You have to do something with it. You say, is that important? Jesus thought so. He said, John 13, verse 17, If you know these things, blessed are you who do them. The blessing is in the doing, not the knowing. It's like a team in the huddle. What a great game plan. Do we have a great coach? Yeah, we win. Yay. No, you're in the huddle. The team is waiting for you out there. You have to implement the plan. You have to implement 
what you learn to have the blessing and the victory. It's not learning a bunch of stuff. And I would only say at this juncture, be careful of insight. Some of you have known the Lord for a while and you're looking for another nugget, maybe another Hebrew word, another kind of... Be careful of being distracted by insights. You may think you have something, but it's only when you apply it that it's a blessing. And you can be distracted by the inside like a shiny car. Or like, you know, when people rubberneck when they're going past an accident, you know? Everything slows down. And so the inside can actually distract you from the very truth you have to live. You have to put into practice for it to be a blessing. Otherwise, you're a mere hearer, not a doer. And it's only being a doer you got the blessing. The Bible is given to be lived, not merely understood. Oh, you have to know in order to do. If you know these things, bless you, you got to know in order to do, but you got to do. You got to put it into practice. Otherwise, it's all futility and vanity, and your time spent even here, enduring the heat, and all the hot air is right around me. So pray for the people in the front row. That's really blast furnace, you know what I mean? Really bad. But enduring all this is just what a waste of time if you're not going to do something with it. Implement. Put into practice. That's where the blessing is. That's where the victory is. That's wisdom. Doing something. I'd rather have one verse. I'd rather know one verse I'm living than a thousand verses that I'm not doing anything with. Because all that scripture will come back to be a testimony against me. But that one verse can give me life if I put it into practice. And that's what God wants us to do. This is what the Messiah taught us and how we're supposed to live. Blessed when we live it out, not what we know. You know, it's putting into practice. Learning's easy. Putting into practice hard, you know? So you want to put it into practice uh, that you might honor the Lord in all these matters. Okay, you say, well, why? Well, I'm glad we're meeting. You know, Sunday we meet together to worship God. It's great. It's great. Uh, the, uh, there was a, a, a scientific study done on how much time fathers spend with their children. You'd be surprised. It comes out to about 30 to 40 seconds a day. About four to five minutes a week, I round it up. Four to five minutes a week. Uh, you say, is that good or bad? Because I think I'm, I'm, I'm like average then, right? Yeah, that is like bad. Media, your children and media, the average 53 plus hours a week. Four or five minutes of influence from a father, 53 plus hours from the media. You say, why is it plus? Because some kids got a couple of things going on at the same time. They're being just saturated by it. And you say, well, well what good will it do if I'm doing... Yeah, if you're only going to do four or five minutes, you're right. But you're supposed to be doing more. You see, we worship, we come together. God created the Sabbath. I hold to, a, you know, a God want. Why does God want that? Because relationships, even with God, take time. Relationships with God take time. We have to spend time with him to grow together in him. So also as a family with your children, you have to spend time and invest your life, your time, your talent, your treasure. You have to count them as a gift from the Lord and value them accordingly. It's worth your time. It's more important than the NBA uh, finals. It's more important than the hockey finals. It's more important than all of that stuff. All of that is vanity and futility. And all we're teaching our children is that's important because it's more important than you. I put four or five minutes into you. I put hours into sports. Do the math, kid. 
and we wonder what's happening. It's not our society. Stop blaming society. It has to do with the home life. When God is going to bring restoration and revival, it's going to be seen in the homes. When men step up and say, I'm going to spend that time. I'm going to put into practice that which is true. I'm going to say, yep, I didn't do it before. I repent. I apologize. I'm now going to do it now. I'm now going to spend time reading with my kids the Bible. I'm going to spend time praying with them. I'm going to spend time bringing them to services. I'm going to get them here early so we can pray. I'm going to invest my life because faith is intentional. I know it's right. I'm going to do it. not going to allow myself to go back onto the default, which is your fault, and blaming everyone else. So we want to understand that we got to be doing these things in order to make a difference. The properly discipled dad can properly disciple his children. You can't give what you ain't got. And so therefore you have to learn uh, and then be able to share uh, as you live it out with your children. Last thought. It says in verse 5, not only regarding our stewardship, we have, to, we have to recognize that stewardship. Stop resisting it. Stop like, oh, man, I got all these rugrats. I got this wife. I got this thing. Man, I could have been a contender, you know? <laughs> uh, you know, what can I tell you? Happens, right, guys? Yeah. We have to receive and recognize our stewardship. We have to gain of the discipleship we need, and then we have to provide the guardianship our family desperately needs. It says in verse 5, if he does not manage his own household, how will he be, take care of the assembly of God, the church of God? You say, well, what's one got to do with the other? Good question. I mean, you know, what we do, you say, well, what do you mean? Well, Paul thought, this is going to sound crazy, you know, he's not here with us, so... We can talk about him behind his back, right? Paul thought that there was only one value system, that it was the same values in the home as there is in the congregation. Crazy guy. You know, one men's group I was speaking to, because we do a lot of training of men. One men's group I was speaking to, and one of the guys said, I, I don't get that. I, I just don't get it. What do you mean? He, said, he actually said it out loud. Most guys just don't smart enough not to say things out loud, you know what I'm saying? He said, well, we don't do the same things at home we do in the congregation. I said, what, what do you mean? Well, we, we, you think we spend our time worshiping God? I guess not, huh? No, that's for the congregation. No, that's for the home. And that's why the kids see the disconnect and the inconsistency. And that inconsistency between the values here and the values at home, your kids are driving a truck right through them. And the hypocrisy is stinking in their nostrils. And they're going to come up with their own game plan, of their own hypocrisy, of their own inconsistencies. And you won't like it, because they'll say it in public, the things that you say at home. So you've got to have a consistent value system. That's why he could say, if a man doesn't know how to manage his own home, how will he manage the church of God? There's only one value system. Before you can become a leader in the congregation, where do you have to be a leader? Where? In the home. And so there has to be an intentional commitment. I'm going to do God's work. Has to be in the heart. Has to be in the home. Then the community can benefit from it. Otherwise, when you try to serve the congregation, kids giggle at you, you know, look what daddy's doing, you know. And so you want to understand that, no, no, we have to be doing it in the home. 
We have to be living there as a testimony to our God. And if you haven't gotten in your heart, I want you to see Tim and the other leaders to get the training, the teaching. Come up to them privately. Just say, I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes about some stuff. Just be able to pray with you about something, and they'll be able to help you, guide you uh, as we learn the stuff we got to do to live the kind of life we're called to live, to the glory of God by the grace of God. Not by any works of our own, for sure, but we got to access it, you know? We have to depend on it. We have to abide in him to bear much fruit. And so we take a look. How do we take care of the assembly of God? we got a guardianship and managing the home with the care for our children. Do you notice what he said there? For if they know how to manage their home, how will they care? Managing is caring. Do you see that? Managing is caring. You manage by caring for the people there. That's how you manage. It's not merely an administrative activity. I deal with the money. I deal with the books. I'm not into people skills. Who told you you could say those things? Where'd you come up with this stuff from? You got the whole bowl of wax, baby. You got to make sure it's functional. You got to care for everything. And you got to work with your family well in these matters and delegate properly uh, to your family. Yes, that word care is only used two other times in the New Testament. How we care, it's used two times, both in the same story about the Good Samaritan. Right? The Good Samaritan, a good Palestinian. He saw this Jewish guy on the streets. No one was caring for him. And so he helped the dude. I came upon him, felt compassion, felt compassion. That was the motivating force. He felt compassion. And says he came and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil, wine in them. He put him on his own beast, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. There's the word. And then the next day, on the next day, took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, take care of him. There it is again. He put his money where his mouth is. He therefore was able to put up he cared. He showed care by p- taking the time, making sure he get, put some of his treasure involved in it, and all he had. Uh, whatever more you spend, I'll return, I'll repay it. So we want to understand this guardian. We manage and we care for our family. We have guardianship and ministering at the congregation as well as in the home. But if it's not happening in the home, we can't expect much here. But your call to serve. Home then here. Heart, home, then here. And so, therefore, we want to get the home values oriented, commit ourselves to it, uh, and be able to live accordingly. And so it has to be in your heart. Remember what I said before from uh, what we call the Vahafta in Deuteronomy. It says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and might. And the words which I'm commanding you today shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You see that? First on your heart, then you can teach them diligently to your children. So they have to be on your heart first. Therefore, you have to have it in your heart so you can then give it to the family. You can give it out. So we want to get the teaching in in order for you to live it out uh, for the people around you then. Then you can lead your family in prayer and lead your family in the word as you follow the Lord and lead them to Yeshua, lead them to Jesus as well. Uh, I want to end with this one thought. About 20 years ago, I guess, I'm old, 20 years doesn't seem that long to me now, uh, there was an article in El Mundo, the major newspaper in Madrid, in Madrid, Spain, and there was like a personal thing put in there, and the personal thing, it said, a simple thing, Paco, 
I forgive you, son. Meet me at noon on Saturday at the newspaper office. I love you, son. Signed, Dad. Noon at the office of the newspaper. 800 Pacos showed up, hoping it was their dad. Your family needs to know that the dad is the one who loves them, just like the Heavenly Father. This is what the soul of our children need. Being restored to the Lord, we now minister to our family. If you haven't yet come to faith in the Lord, you ain't got the goods, you need love of God poured out in your heart that you'll have it to share, to be an instrument to others. You need to have forgiveness for your sins. You need to have cleansing that comes by the blood of our Messiah, the Lord Jesus. You need to trust Him simply. And then God empowers you through the Holy Spirit to now follow Him. And that followership is going to be seen in that discipleship as you have a guardianship for your family. That, that's just how it works. You come to him that you might now have from him to share with others. God has what you need for your family. But will you trust him? For when he died, when Messiah died uh, and was restored to life by the Father, it was in order to restore you to eternal life uh, with the Father. That's God's desire that he has for you. A gift of God for you to share with your family and then with the community as well. And then even with this poor desperate nation we have. Let's pray for our own hearts right now.